Good morning. Good to see you all today. Brother Tim mentioned, um, my name is Neil Honey, for those of you that don't know me. I look out there and every time I come, there are a few new faces that I hadn't seen before. Praise the Lord for that. I am a member here, um, but I haven't been laying at home on Sundays for the last few years. I've just been ministering at different places, so if I haven't uh, met you before, I hope I meet you today. Uh, I would like to um, read the last stanza of 225 because it seemed to kind of correlate with the thoughts I had on my mind this morning. If the trial I endure and your presence I can't find, be near me, Lord, I pray, being bring back into my mind that your promises are firm and I'm never on my own. Every tear wiped away when I go home. I'd like to talk to you for a while today if the Lord would help me about stony places. I wish that uh, I could say that this message is particularly encouraging, but it may not be. Sorry if it's not. I hope, though, that it's helpful if it's not particularly encouraging. And I'll remind you today that we as children of God don't necessarily traverse a flower-strewn pathway through this life, do we? Uh, Not that anyone truly does. But it would seem that way sometimes. You look at others and you think, man, they've just got it all together and all figured out. And I struggle and I suffer and all of these other things. And we know that that's part of life here on earth, especially for the child of God. But we want to make sure as we move through life, as we uh, traverse the narrow way and try to serve the Lord, as we occasionally uh, find ourselves in stony ground, stony places, um, that we don't. We don't trip over the wrong rock. Um, You know, we serve uh, the chief cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're to be built up in house of praise unto him. We are to accept the words that he left us as truth and believe them and to the best of our ability, follow them. In Matthew, the 13th chapter, though, we read about uh, some children of God in the process of receiving the word of God. And they receive it, they hear it with joy. But then as time goes by, they're offended. Now, what we're reading today is a portion of what is known as the parable of the sower. I'll read you from Matthew, the 13th chapter, the 20th verse. I'm only going to concentrate on this one category this morning for sake of time and to make, try to make a point if the Lord will help me. Please pray for me. But he that received the seed into stony places... The same is he that heareth the word, and anon, with joy, receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth, notice, because of the word, by and by, he is offended. And there's a companion passage to this in Luke, the 8th chapter, in the 13th verse, it says this, Speaking of the same group of people. They on the rock are they which when they hear the word receive the word with joy and these have no root. Which for a while believe. And in time of temptation fall away. So the people under consideration here in this passage of scripture. We know are children of God from several evidences that are given here in this passage of scripture. In verse 20 back to Matthew 13. It says that he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word. So they have spiritual ears to hear the word of God. 
You don't get those by accident, and you don't get those by trying hard and wishing. You get spiritual eyes to see, spiritual ears to hear, spiritual feet to walk and follow Jesus when you're born again by the power of His Holy Spirit. And also it says here that they received. Now, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 tells us that the natural man, the person that's still in their fleshly nature that's not been born again, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto Him. So here's someone that has spiritual ears to hear. They receive. That tells me that they're not just in their natural state of being born into their trespasses and sins, but they've been translated in the kingdom of His dear Son by His Spirit because they appreciate the things. They receive them. And then it says, not only do they receive them, but they receive them in verse 20 with joy. And joy is fruit of the Spirit. So here are at least three evidences that the people we're talking about this morning are born again children of God who can hear the word, receive the word, rejoice in the word. But uh oh, (laughs) for them, it doesn't last very long. And that's sad. And and they're characterized as having someone that has a a, a stony uh, disposition. There's, there's something about them that's hard and the soil is not very deep. It's not well tilled. And it says here that um, they don't have a root in themselves. Verse 21. So they endure for a while, but then tribulation comes or persecution or, the, or in the passage in uh, Luke, we read temptation. So tribulation, persecution or temptation arises because of the word, the tribulation or persecution, and then the temptation could come for a lot of reasons. Satan certainly got plenty of temptations thrown out there if you're susceptible to him. And then by and by, he is offended. So they are not just uh, forgetful, not just negligent, but they actually get offended in this. Now that's a bad place to be. Many of you will remember a passage from Ezekiel chapter 11 that tells us the 19th verse, our condition in Christ. Ezekiel eleven nineteen reads, And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh. So here people who we said are born again, I think there's evidences here, at least several, that they're born again children of God. So the Lord's given them a heart of flesh. They have the ability to receive these things with joy and to endure But there's something about them that's still hard, that's still uh, stony and rocky. They don't have root. Now we have, and what I'd like to talk about today, we have in Jesus Christ, we have root in Him. We are part, we are grafted into that vine, we'll never be taken out, we'll we'll never not be part of Christ. But there's a sense in this life where we can get hard-hearted, we can get distracted, persecutions come, tribulations come, temptations come. And that word that we received with joy, gladly, we believed it, we rejoiced in it, we walked in it. And, and if, and if, but if we're thin, if we're shallow, we can fall away from it. Now this is not talking about dying and going to hell, okay? Because born again children of God are secure in Him. But part of the concept of understanding how we walk in stony places is understanding that the Lord Jesus Christ came, He gave us His kingdom, He gave us His church. He gave us some commandments. He gave us some precious words. But He expects us to endure in those. He expects us to walk in those. And He particularly is concerned that we are not offended in Him. Now we're going to look at two examples this morning of people who who had this experience that we're talking about here. This is not an esoteric concept. This actually happened to real life people in the Bible. 
They were born again children of God. They hear a word. They experience things in the Lord. They even see miracles. And yet a short time later, they're either persecuted, tempted. They go through tribulation and, and it starts to dry up. The good news is the Lord can straighten you back out. <laughs> he can take care of you. OK, so but you don't want to be offended in him. And let me put this in context. This is a little bit of a rabbit trail. The concept scripturally of being in Christ is an absolutely important concept to understand. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 tells us, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 says, It is of Him that you are in Christ Jesus. So if you are in Christ Jesus, okay, you've always been in Christ Jesus. You always will be in Christ Jesus. You were in Christ Jesus when He died. Therefore, your sins died in Him. And when, you were, when He was resurrected, we were quickened together with Him. Okay? So in an eternal sense, you'll never be out of Christ. And really, in an eternal sense, you've never been positionally out of Christ. You were placed in Christ by the Father before the foundation of the world. And all the things that ensued since then and the covenant of grace and the plan of salvation and were revealed to you in time by His Spirit. So you were placed in Him as an adopted son or daughter in Christ before the foundation of the world. Jesus died for you when He came and He died on the cross. You were in Him when He died. Your sins died in Him. When He went into the grave, you went in with Him. You were resurrected with Him. And as He is today glorified in heaven, God the Father even sees you in His mind. I can't completely understand that. Glorified, standing before the throne of God and praising Him for all of eternity. God can see that because it's an unbroken chain of the covenant of grace. And you say, oh, brother, how do I know if I'm in that? Well, Galatians chapter 4 tells us because you are a son, he hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So the evidence that you're in him is that you love him, that you believe in him, that you cry out to him. And all of those things you have as a blessing of God sending his spirit to you. You'll never be out of that covenant of grace. But in terms of fellowship and how we walk with him and how we have blessings in this life, we can sometimes suffer in that way if we allow this fleshly side of us and, and even our, our natural side of us that we send a new spirit in our heart. We're one with Christ, but we still struggle with those old things. And, you know, I think sometimes for myself, this might help anybody else, but I know like when I come to church to hear a message on, a, on a, the occasion that I get to, like when I go to a meeting or something, and I'm not the one having to try to preach. <laughs> like I go to a special meeting, and, and I know I'm going to hear several brothers preach, and I know I'm not going to be one of them. There's a side of me that through the week says, you know what, I get to go on Saturday and just sit there. And I don't really have to study this week. You know, I don't really have to be on my toes. But then there's another side of me that understands if I want to be blessed when I go, I need to study, I need to pray. I need to fast the world. I need to get my ground good and tilled up and ready and not let it be rock hard because of the ravages of this life. So that when I go and I hear the word, when I feel the word, the living word move through the congregation, that it means something to me. That it falls on some soft, good ground. That fruit would, would, would grow out of that. That it wouldn't just dry up and burn up and, and go away. See, the danger is, you know, we're at church on a Sunday, maybe we're at church on a Wednesday, but then you got another six or seven days in between before you get back. And life sometimes is hard. It's stony. And it will, it will burn you and, and, and make you thick and tough and, and mean on the outside. And then the danger there is, 
if, if you're just kind of resting all your laurels from the Sunday before, you're not praying, you're not fasting the world, you're not asking the Lord for help, you get there the next week and you just get a little something. And it's, it's good, but it just doesn't produce that much, see. So there's people like that, actually, that we read about in the Bible. And since we're in Matthew, the 13th chapter, let's look at some of them in Matthew, the 13th chapter. Because here's the thing. You would think if this is such an important concept and the Lord's teaching this in Matthew, the 13th chapter. Now, just, it just boggles my mind sometimes to think that the God of glory came down to us and literally sat or stood in front of men and women and said these things to them. And then he calls some of the apostles to actually write it down so we could read it 2,000 years later. Does that boggle your mind? Amen. And then he preserved it all this time so that we would have it. It really, truly is mind-boggling. I mean, it's just astounding to me. But imagine how astounding it would be. Now, I love Brother Tim. He's a wonderful pastor. And, but, but imagine what it would be like to, to have the Lord standing in front of you instead of Brother Tim, as much as we love Brother Tim. Amen. But imagine if... If the Lord came literally and, and, and talked and spoke to us, what, what kind of impact would that would have? I hope it would have the kind of impact that you would remember every single thing He said for the rest of your life. Amen. But you wouldn't. Because these people didn't. And the people never do. That's why we need to be reminded regularly. See, we just don't remember it for the rest of our lives. You'd think maybe reading Ephesians chapter 1 or Romans chapter 8 or you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you could read it one time, memorize a few verses, and you're good to go for the next 75 years. <clears throat> Doesn't work that way. I remember standing on the porch of our, I went to a Christian school, and in the fifth grade we had to memorize the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 over Christmas break. You talk about ruin a Christmas break. Give a you know eleven year old kid an entire chapter to memorize when they come back, and we had to have the punctuation right and the capitalization right and be able to write it out. And I mean, I remember. Now I'm glad I memorized it, but there was a few moments during that two week time period I wasn't so happy with my teacher. But I memorized it all those years ago. Now almost forty years ago. You know what? I still have to go back and read it pretty regularly to practice agape love. And these people find themselves in this condition. The Lord has taught them all this stuff, these amazing, amazing things. We just read about some of them in, in verse 20 and 21. We'll go down a few verses to verse 53. Remember, same chapter. Probably not the same day, but it couldn't have been all that long, right? I mean, all of Matthew is probably three years time span. So this is, this is a very short time period here. And in verse 53, and it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. That's their local church where they would come on Sabbath day and read the scrolls. Those people that couldn't get down to the temple regularly. And these people are way up in north of, of, of Jerusalem, probably, you know, uh, maybe 90 miles or, or so. We don't know exactly. But so they're a long way. So they have their own little church. They meet there. The elders and the rabbis will read the scrolls and kind of teach the people. And so he comes there into their church insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? In other words, here they are in their local church. And here's a man who can take out the scrolls and can, and can teach them things that their elders and their rabbis can't explain. And this guy's like 30. Wow. 
Things they've wondered about their entire lives probably. There's probably old people in the congregation that have always wondered what Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 that we just read meant. They've always wondered, what is this stony heart? Jesus can just tell them. He knows exactly what everything means. They're astonished. It's amazing. But then see, maybe the depth of their soul is not what it ought to be. Maybe they've had a rough week. Maybe they, because of the ravages of life, and the fact that they've had to think during the week about food and shelter and raiment and making a living, because of all that, they come into the house of God and their mind is not, is not solely focused on the spiritual things. They begin to look at the natural things. They're amazed that this man can tell them these things. Answer all their questions and lift up their hearts with the joy of the Lord just reading His Word that He wrote. <laughs> he moved upon men Himself to write down these words. And so He can explain all these things. But then they get to looking around and they start thinking about natural things and they said, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? They, instead of looking at the King of glory, they look around at his mom and his, his half-brothers and sisters. Oh, they're all Mary's children, but they're not all Joseph's children because Jesus isn't. Jesus is the King of glory and He is manifesting by the way He speaks and what He knows and the miraculous things that come out of His mouth and the miracles that He's done that He is God. And God is right there before them in their church. And they start thinking about, well, you know, what did He do for a living before He started preaching? You know, come on. I kind of joked my family this morning. I was talking to my son Nate. I was like, we need, to, we need to take the trim off this window and we need to unscrew it and we need to, it's getting out of kilter. We'll, we'll prop it up and we'll put a little shim under it and then we'll put the trim back on. Amy said, a shim? And I just couldn't help. I said, is not this the carpenter's son? Like, no respect. <laughs> you know, I mean... <laughs> Sometimes, if, if we're not careful, you know, and it could even have, let's take me aside. Brother Neil's a, a nobody. Let's, okay. But, you know, some man might stand before you and bring the word of the Lord and it lifts up your heart. And d- please don't sit there and think, well, isn't he a nurse? Or isn't he an accountant? Or isn't he a lawyer? Or we're brothers and sisters here, right? Amen. And I hope that when we come into His house, Jesus' house, and His Spirit settles here among us, and we're lifting up the songs of praise, and someone is bringing a message, I hope we don't look around at our brothers and sisters so much that we take our eyes off the King of glory. You follow me? Well, this one said this to me. This one did this. Brother Neil didn't do this for me. Whatever. We're here. The Lord is here. Let's hear what He has to say. So that's a little bit of a rabbit trail. And they were offended, verse 57, in him. Now again, you gotta be, this is this is Brother Neil. If you don't agree with me here, please give me a little liberty. Even though some of you haven't seen me in a long time, you know you love me. They're offended in him. I would say to be offended in him, you gotta be in him. Now, the world is offended by him. If you don't believe that, my goodness, y'all know the world is offended by him. If you turn over a few chapters and you know Brother Neil is going to harp on this every time he gets in the pulpit, 
But Matthew chapter 19, as the Lord is answering some questions for them about marriage, about what it ought to look like, about creation, the Lord says some things that would get him kicked out of a lot of places today, including some churches. And for sure, most civic organizations and might get him fired at a, you know, a, a Forbes 500 company these days if he said it out in public. Because he says this in verse four, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Jesus just in those in that one sentence, OK, throughout the efforts of almost all of Western civilization in terms of of the of evolutionary theory naturalism and all that for the last 250 years in that one sentence when he said he made them. He said, but there's some rocks that look like this and people said this and some famous scientist said this and some guy that sent out a telescope said this. Who do you believe? The carpenter's son? (laughs) The Lord of the universe? (laughs) I mean, he... The world is offended by him and by what he said. And he not only said that, he said he made them male and female. There's two genders, male and female. And the one that made them has the right to proclaim that that's the way it is. Someone cannot come along 2,000, 3,000 years later and say, oh, it's not like that anymore. That's old fashioned. No, he made them or he didn't. And the world is offended by that. But I would ask you, child of God, that has evidence in your heart of belief and love and faith that surely you are in Him. Would you be offended in that? You might be someday, and I've said it before, you'll be sitting in a classroom somewhere and someone's going to be telling you from every subject they teach you, from history, from, from geology, from geography, from archaeology, from every kind of anthropology, and then certainly every science curriculum out there is going to tell us, well, you know, a hundred thousand years ago, people were doing this, you know, and, and you know, maybe a hundred million years ago, there was only one gender, and then something happened in evolution, and then you kind of get two, and then you get, and you go on and on and on. And this is every single class you go to in a university or a lot of schools, and it's just over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And over. It just pounds your mind. And you know what? The world is offended by him because of those things that he said. I would ask that you not be offended in him. Just put the answer they want to test. Just move on. Just do what you have to do. But you believe what Jesus said. Do not be offended in Him. And in this particular case, the Lord is there teaching them. And they look around and they say, well, look at His brothers and His sisters. You could do that today. Now they're looking at His natural half-brothers and sisters who have married for their, for, for their mother just like He did. But I tell you what, we are the adopted children of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. We are His brothers and sisters spiritually today. And it would never behoove us as we sit in the Lord's house to look around at this brother or this sister and say, well, they did this. I don't like that. I don't like their dress. I don't like the chain they got on. I don't want, you know, whatever. And then you miss the whole point of the fact that Jesus was there teaching you something in your heart and through His Word. And they were offended in Him. Let the world be offended by Him. We as children of God who are in Him just may need to make sure that we're not offended in Him. Amen. That we listen to what He said. That we live what He said. That we follow what He said. You've got to be in Him to do that. Right. But you're in Him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country. I've preached this before, but every time I read this aloud, I almost choke up. Bear with me if I do. Maybe I won't this time. And in his own house. Where is he? 
He didn't have a house, Brother Neal. The Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. Go back up to verse 54. He's in the synagogue. He's in his house. Because he's in the church house. Jesus is teaching them in His house. The place, whether they realize it or not, they've come to worship Him because He's the God of the Old Testament. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. He is the I Am. He's the One who spoke these things into existence as the mouthpiece of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were created by Him, and there was not anything made that was not made by Him. And He's standing there in front of them in His house. And they don't believe what He said. They're offended in him because they get to looking around at the natural things and, well, he's a carpenter and, you know, his brother's over here and, you know, and, and he stepped on my toe when I was five and, you know, and beat me up on the playground and, you know, and this and over here, you know, he's just a guy like us. No, he's not. <laughs> he was a man, <laughs> but he's all God too. So these people go from a parable where the Lord directly teaches them when you hear the word, listen up. <laughs> Soften your heart. I know you're walking through stony ground out here in this life, but don't let this be stony. Right. Till it up. Fast the world. Pray. Read your Bible. Get ready when you come into His house on Sunday, which in the New Testament church is no longer the Jewish synagogue way thousands of miles on the other side of the earth where I've never been. Thank God. Amen. It's right here nearby. Right. I can get in my car and I can go. And when I get there, will I look for Jesus? Or will I look around at earthly things? And get offended in him. I hope I wouldn't do that. But I've done it before. Now turn your attention to the companion passage of this over in Luke chapter 8 while ago. Let's look at Luke chapter 7. Uh, in, in closing here. Of someone who may also have been offended in the Lord a little bit. You can get offended because of Temptation. The temptation to look around you and believe something other than what Jesus said as you look around at earthly things. If you spend all your time, I assure you, reading, uh, you know, naturalist, evolutionary, scientist literature, you will be tempted to doubt creation. Because there's been some brilliant people for the last couple hundred years who spent every waking hour of their entire lives trying to convince us that there's no God, etc., etc. And you could be tempted away. But now, also remember, we saw there was three things. Temptation can do it, but also tribulation and persecution. And here we find a man named John the Baptist in Luke the 7th chapter. And essentially what happens for sake of time, you'll remember John the Baptist. You're in a primitive Baptist church today. So in a sense, we go all the way back to John the Baptist. You know, you want to know what the, anyway. Rabbit trail, you know what the oldest denomination on the earth is? If we want to say something about us, the Baptist. Moving on. John the Baptist, he comes in the wilderness preaching. This strange looking man, kind of like a lot of us primitive Baptist preachers. You know, he, he wasn't trained necessarily up at the temple, even though he had the lineage of a priest. He was trained out in the wilderness. And when people went to hear him, they had to get up, get out of the big city, cross the river, or go over Jordan, go up into the wilderness to hear him preach. Some primitive Baptist churches are like that. You've got to get up, go across the river, go out in the wilderness to hear him. Some are a little more centrally located, thank the Lord, like this one. But, you know, wherever you've got to go to hear grace, just go. Amen. And John the Baptist, we still follow in that vein, I hope, I trust. We're not John the Baptist now. He was a special, special man. But John the Baptist came preaching and teaching. Remember, he's the one that came uh, saying, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
He's the one who said, as Jesus comes before him, as he's baptizing out there in the wilderness, as Jesus comes, he says, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world publicly in front of everybody, proclaimed Jesus, stood up for Jesus. He's, he's a good man. But very short time into his ministry, he finds himself in opposition to the king of the Tetrarchy of Galilee, which was Herod, one of the great Herod's sons, who's ruling this little province. And he preaches against the fact that Herod is basically living with his brother's wife. And he says, you're not allowed to do that by the law. You need to repent. And Herod gets mad and throws him in jail. Ultimately, beheads him there. Terrible situation. And while John is in prison, even though he's proclaimed the Lord, seen the Lord, believed, baptized Jesus with his own hands and heard God the Father from heaven say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, saw the Trinity there manifested before him out there in that wilderness. Sometimes you have to go to the wilderness to see it manifested, but he goes out in the wilderness and it's manifested and then he gets thrown in prison. He's under persecution, I think we would all agree, in tribulation. Jail is a bad place to be, especially back then. And so maybe he, I can't read John's mind, don't want to read too much into the Scripture, but he sends two of his, John sends two of his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you really the one we're looking for? That's how low he is. The man who proclaimed him as the Lamb of God. And they come and they ask Jesus on John's behalf. Verse 20, art thou who, that we should look for or should we look for another? And in that same hour he cured infirmities and plagues and evil spirits and those that were blind. And Jesus says, go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. How the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to the poor, the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Amen. Is John in Christ? Yes. There were lots of people that were offended by Christ in that day. That Christ sent on their way packing because they could not answer his questions and they couldn't stand up to him and they couldn't. You didn't want to draw the sword of wits with the Lord Jesus Christ. It did not end well for most of the Pharisees. But there were lots of people that were offended by Jesus. But Jesus says, Blessed he who is not offended in me. Right. And he's talking to John the Baptist. And what he tells John the Baptist, who's stuck in prison, who will shortly die, go back and tell John that I'm healing people that couldn't see. I'm making people walk who couldn't walk. I'm cleansing people who had leprosy, which no one could cure back then. I'm making deaf people hear. Now, some of those things you can treat with medicine today. Most of them you can't fix, but you could treat them. But here's one you can't do anything about with modern medicine. The dead are raised. Try that one on. No one's figured that one out yet. But Jesus could do it. To the poor, the gospel is preached. Amazing things. It's amazing that he's preaching the gospel to the poor because once these people that he healed get old and they're laying on a deathbed somewhere, they can look back to that healing and thank God for it, but they can really be thankful about the gospel <laughs> that tells them where they're headed next when he doesn't heal them this next time. And he says, tell John that. Right. Well, you know, if that was me, I think I would have been very offended. Because if Jesus could raise the dead make the lame walk, make the blind see, why can't he just get me out of jail? Now, further on in the New Testament, he does get people out of jail. Like Peter and Paul. Jesus is in the jailbreaking business. But not on this day. And he's telling John, John, I had the ability. But I want you to trust me. 
And I don't want you to be offended in me. Child of God, being in Christ, don't be offended by Christ, but for sure don't be offended in Christ. And understand that there may be times where you will be offended by temptation like those people in the house of God were, but there may be times that you're going to be offended in tribulation and persecution. John hadn't done anything wrong. I mean, he's a sinner like all the rest of us, but he got thrown in prison not for robbing a bank. He got thrown in prison for calling out an adulterer who was committing adultery in public and leading the people astray. And John stood up and said, you can't do that. And he said, oh, yes, I can. And he throws him in jail and eventually kills him for it. You'd, you'd think that the Lord, if He could raise the dead, if He could do all these other things, He would just open the doors of the prison and lead John out. And John and he could just minister together till they both you know, reach a ripe old age or something like that. That was not what God had planned here. Jesus did not put John in prison. But He also didn't open the door and lead him out naturally, physically. But like the song we sang this morning, time will come. I will lead this life. It might not be by beheading like it was for John and like it was for Paul. It might not be the sword like it was for James. It may not be an upside down crucifixion like Peter got. It may not be uh, something like that where almost, almost all the disciples were killed in some violent way. It may not be like that. But He will lead me out of the prison of this flesh. He will lead me out of the prison of this world. And it will require going through the valley of the shadow of death and laying down somewhere and dying and what comes next. If I leave here from a prison cell, if I leave here from a hospital bed, if I leave here from a, from a crashed car, what, what's, what's more important to me at that moment? Is it that the Lord could, can heal somebody that's blind or somebody that's lame? Or is it understanding that whatever I go through, He already went through it first? That yes, I'll go through death. Yes, I'll someday get locked up and it might, I may not be in prison. It might be in the hospital. It might be in the nursing home. It might be that I can't leave my bedroom someday. I'll be locked down, shut up, shut out somewhere. But Jesus is always with me there. And part of the understanding for the child of God and not being offended in Him, to be able to walk through the stony places, to be able to have a heart that will be touched by His Word, will be touched by His Spirit, that will be encouraged instead of your root just drying up and blowing away, is understanding that. Not everybody walks the same path in this life. And probably most of us will never be actually locked up in a prison somewhere for the sake of the gospel. Probably. It could easily happen. And it wouldn't really take that much of a political change or switch for it to start to happen very soon. It could. It could. But it may not. But if you follow after Christ, young person, you will get locked out of certain things. There'll be certain areas of fellowship that you're just locked out of because people are doing certain things that you as a child of God cannot in righteousness do. And they'll say, hey, come with us. Come over here. And you're, and you're back here. And you're like, I, 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 I'm not allowed to go there. You know? and, and, and there's a side of you, if you're honest, in your flesh that says, I don't want to be locked up over here. I want my liberty. I want to be able to go do what I want to do. John, and I don't mean to trivialize John's situation now, because like I wouldn't be worthy, he wasn't worthy to tie the Lord's shoes. I wouldn't be worthy to tie John's. <laughs> okay? I mean, this man sacrificed, but now think about it from a little bit of a more minor way. 
There's a lot of us, we say, oh, I can't do this because I'm Christ. I am in Him and I've got to leave that alone. But there's a side of me that wants my freedom to go do it. Is that not true? And you're sitting there thinking, you're chafing at that. Your parents are saying, no, I'm not going to let you go out with those folks. And you're sitting there just chafing and you're in prison. You're stuck in the house. You want to be out on the road. Don't be offended in Christ. If they make that rule for the sake of righteousness and protecting you and bringing you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, which they are commanded to do, and you feel like you're a prisoner at home, hey, rejoice in the Lord where you are. The Lord will deliver you to something better. Just give Him some time. There's times, you know, when maybe you've made a sacrifice to be able to come to church regularly. Might cost you money. And you see everybody else driving down the road with, you know, their new truck and new boat and new this and new that. And you think, man, well, if I, if I was willing to work those weekends and work those Sundays and I'd have a little more change, I could have some of that stuff. And you kind of feel trapped in that situation. Hey, you know what? We're serving Jesus. We don't need to look around at the circumstances of life and let it harden us, let it make us wish that we had this, wish that we had that, which I am sure John the Baptist would have liked nothing better. I, I mean, I don't know his mind, but he did, he did tell him to go ask the Lord, hey, are you really him? The implication there is, if you are, I could use a little help over here. I mean, let's, let's admit it. He's a man. Okay? He's used to being out wandering in the wilderness and, 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 and a man of the woods, and now he's stuck in a jail cell. I mean, that'd kill me too. But that wasn't the Lord's plan that day. The Lord delivered him in a different way. But the Lord said, blessed is he who has not offended in me. When tribulation comes, when persecution comes, when temptation comes, I ask you this morning, child of God, we're walking through some stony ground. Don't let it make you hard. Don't let it make you bitter. Keep your heart soft. Fast the world. Read his word. And when you come into his house, let him speak to you. And if he says, this is the place I have you right now. And you look around and all you see are jail cells and jail and walls of a jail cell. Just trust him that he'll deliver you. He always does. And wherever you are, as we say this morning, he's always with you. I thank you so much for your time.